the best in class, the highest value, the best house on the street, right? right? right. The one that you walk down and you say, I want that house. Mm -hmm. We were that company. You are now connected with Enclave for Entrepreneurs at O'Hare International Airport in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Enclave O'Hare, the local to global learning and earning center for entrepreneurs and their influencers. So Jeff, I'm gonna have you introduce yourself in a minute um, and, and put some context, but for, for everybody who's listening, um, we're actually sitting on stage here at um, Enclave for Entrepreneurs and doing things a little differently. We typically will have somebody speak and then we go downstairs and, and interview them there, but wanted to give the audience the opportunity to see what it looks like for a live podcast recording to happen. So that's that's kind of the idea of tonight. So a little something a little bit special. But but Jeff, you just gave a, a really good talk, uh, an emotional talk, which we appreciate here very much. Um, but can you give us some background just so folks kind of understand who you are and your journey a little bit on on you know who you are and how you got to sitting in on stage having a conversation? Okay. With you? <laughs> so um, when I was 19 years old, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do just out of high school. I'm like, okay, I'll go to school at night, but I want to make some money. <laughs> so I, I stumbled into a toolmaker training position. So I was uh, seemingly making more money than all my friends that were in college. <laughs> I was like, I'll buy the beer <laughs> or something like that. You I know? wish we were friends. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> I, I say that in jest, but it was kind of that, you know, 19-year-old right. mindset. Uh, but kind of for 10 years after that, I really morphed into really what I thought was a quality toolmaker. And I became a lot more serious about my profession. 10 years, became a manufacturer manager, went to school at night, got my associate's degree, got my bachelor's degree many years later. Uh, basically kind of just morphed into the professional that I am today. But really for... That first 10 years with one company, the second period of my career was 19 years with a 130-year-old, rather large industrial fluid power handling company, mm -hmm. pumps, mixers, stuff like that, and then crafts for the past eight years. Um, and I mentioned that in the first part of my career, that principal was an investor in crafts later, and he kind of sought me out when they wanted to convert the company to an ESOP. Right. So that's the shortest view. Can you explain Crafts Technology in, in the, the way I would describe it as the super niche field that you guys all play in? Yeah, I would say in the late 1800s, if you can imagine, there were no super hard materials other than natural diamond. Right. There was nothing even close to it. So if you imagine... Um, artisans in Antwerp in, uh, in, in Europe, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, they were basically, imagine if you wanted a diamond with uh, polished with certain facets, there were artisans that were, you know, grinding or lapping these diamonds, natural diamonds, uh, beautiful diamonds that uh, you would say with no inclusions. Mm -hmm. So those artisans migrated to the United States in the late 1800s. The company started setting the ugly diamonds, the diamonds with inclusions that nobody wanted. They took them, which are basically worthless, and they took those really hard diamonds, they set them into cutting tools. 
So all of a sudden, a cutting tool lasts a hundred times longer than anything else that was out there. So in the lady, the background. That's it. That's the genesis of crafts. So for 130 years, in one way or another, had been using ultra-hard materials to cut something or as a wear-resistant material. Right. And, and you stepped into the business. Um, obviously, you have not been there for the full 130 years. Um, but you stepped into the business and became president. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys, uh, while you were president, became an ESOP? Or did that happen before? Great question. January 1st, 2014 was the first day of the ESOP. Mm-hmm. That was my first day that I was working at Crafts. So we had, just prior to the inception of the ESOP, I had been negotiating with the principals about, they, had a, they wanted me to buy the business. They said, you know, they were shopping the business. They right. said, hey, do you want to buy the business? And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I have that much money. <laughs> but uh, so they had heard about ESOPs. I had heard about ESOPs. And, we're, and, and conversationally, we were like, hey, maybe the vehicle to this sale is an ESOP. And I was very interested in an equity position, but I was like, I'll take an equity position, plus all the employees get to take an equity position. Right. So it was like, uh, it, was, it was preordained, you might say, in my mindset in theirs. It all worked really good. Yeah. And, and the latest news uh, that happened this year is, you could enlighten us on that part. Yeah, so that preordained notion uh, I had spent 19 years in a professional sales career prior to coming to Crafts. And I was, uh, you might say, I was a very good student of what was going on in the market in M&A. I was reading a lot and I watched companies be acquired. And I was like, and I once I started reading about it, trying to understand multiples of earnings, trying to understand what makes a company valuable. I became a real student of that, self-taught in a lot of ways. So when I came to Crafts, I said, I know what I'm going to do. For the next three, five, ten years, I'm going to work at Crafts and make them the most, the best in class, the highest value, the best house on the street, right? right? Right. The one that you walk down and you say, I want that house. We were that company. I just, did I think we were going to sell it? It was kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. Right. All that mattered is if somebody did want to buy it, they were going to pay the highest multiple for the company, more or less. Right, right. So in tonight, it was, um, frankly, a real treat to hear you talk. Um, you know, we've been doing this. John, how many episodes are we at now? So 30 episodes, and you know I've talked to all different types of um, entrepreneurs, people who support entrepreneurs, professors, and all those kind of things. And I'd say during those conversations, there's a wide range of what they're willing to uh, express emotionally, uh, even though that's what we're all about here. And there's been some more conversations that are kind of just more on the business side. And I, when we do these interviews, I have to kind of pull some of the emotion out uh, a little bit. And so... Tonight, though, you were basically the polar opposite of that. I mean, you really came up here and um, talked about the emotional journey that you uh, have been on, are on, you know, today and continue to be on. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And I think for me, what really jumpstart that is you, you shared a story. You were talking to somebody who said, you know, you aren't an entrepreneur. 
And we had a, you had a long conversation. Oh shoot, with some you're of listening. Yeah, that's you're right. listening too good. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, I can quote you actually. <laughs> um, but you know, can you can you talk a little bit about that and and um, why in particular somebody saying something like that to you made you feel the way that it did? Uh, you're trying to get me emotional again. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're, you're mean. <laughs> Brought up a bad bad boy. Uh, well, I already sent out that emotion, so yeah. I'm going to be this, yeah. this, you know, it's this notion that I, that's why I asked everybody to stand up. Not everybody believes that, that they are that entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you even, you said it extremely well when you said you don't want to cheapen that. Mm-hmm. So there's this, you know, this mindset, this dichotomy, this divergence, bifurcation of this idea of what an entrepreneur is. And that does, it's, it's emotional for me because, you know, I saw, for me, my father, so are you trying to dig there? You're good. <laughs> so my father, he was, he worked in a diner. He was in Salem, Massachusetts. He was like the mayor of Salem in yeah. this diner. This diner, people would come in. I know I was a dishwasher there. They would come in and they would uh, they would come in. The people were crazy in love with this diner. Yeah. But they were in love with him. Right. And he was the genesis. I mean, honest to God, he was just grilling an egg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he I would imagine, based he, off the way that you're talking about him, and if you're the mayor, like it's the way that he made people feel. I, I Correct. It's yeah. And he drove that business. Right. And he had no equity in that business. Right. He was an entrepreneur in a lot of ways, but but not by virtue of investment. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else was handed the business, you know, in their family, came down three generations. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't hold disdain for that, but I think the converse is true. I think they don't. The, that other part of the equation doesn't always recognize where the true entrepreneur is. The, trepan- the real entrepreneur lies in what you think, mm-hmm. in your mind, in your heart, how it expresses. Right. It's not just in the dollars. Right. And so I think that was, that was important to me to understand. And once you understand that, you can go buy a company, run a company, and you, are, it's shocking. There are so many entrepreneurs in those, these companies. Right. And if you tap into that, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You can double, triple productivity. I think uh, Jim, I was talking, <laughs> he's an uh, organizational psychologist, but we were talking about productivity of people. Mm-hmm that comes from tapping into their emotion. You have to recognize them as entrepreneurs. If you recognize them as a number, oh, you don't have an investment in this company, you're not... Quota. You're not an entrepreneur. It's, you know, it's Bezos that's the entrepreneur. Again, not to denigrate Bezos. He is an entrepreneur. But there's a lot more entrepreneurs in the midst. You can't believe how many there are. $10 trillion worth. And a lot of them risk everything. Mm-hmm. But not all of them. Right. But they're still entrepreneurs. Yeah, I you know I work in corporate America, and I work for you know smaller you know family owned businesses as well. And I think I said what I said tonight in regards to you know are you an entrepreneur, Scott? And I said no from a risk standpoint. I don't take the same type of risk. But 
I would say that, you know, when you think about the way that folks operate in the business world, um, what I what especially since coming on, Clay, what you really see is our folks um, taking ownership and responsibility for kind of what and how they think and, and how they are operating on a day-to-day basis. Because I think it is very easy to get sucked into, mm. you know, it's kind of just a job. Um, and I think, you know, for anybody, and this is basically kind of what you're talking about. It's like, we're, we're here once, right? As far as we know. Um, why wouldn't you take that drive and energy for whatever it is that you're passionate about and, and go every single day and you're not going to do it every single day but you can try to add value to the other people that you're with and then see what happens from there i mean that's i feel jeff you know in speaking with you and we've talked before i've sat down with you in your office and stuff like that the there's so many folks especially in my experience on the technical side that really struggle with that but i feel like they also don't have to Um, They don't have to just think about the nuts and bolts. And if they were potentially even just a little bit more themselves and a little bit more emotional and Mm -hmm. willing to get a little, you know, cry a little bit, frankly, in in certain situations when they're really trying to figure something out or when they're super frustrated or something doesn't work out the way that they want it to. I guess the way that I would describe that is just be a little bit more of a human being. Vulnerable. Yeah, for sure. It's okay to be vulnerable. Right. Right. As you can see, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm fine with being vulnerable. Yeah, I think it makes you—it's innately human, right? Yep. Um, I could have scripted that question because I have a great answer for that question. In this respect, I don't know if it's the answer you were searching Sorry. for, yeah. but um, it's about equity. Yeah. So an entrepreneur. Think about this just for a second. If I buy a company, me, I go in and I pay $10 million for a company, my money, my risk, I deserve it. I go in with my pom-poms and I say to everybody, oh my God, I'm going to give you a bonus if you do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you profit sharing. And I shake. Honestly, and let's not diminish what I'm saying. Let's just say I am awesome, right? And I'm like, I really motivate the crap out of people, right? Right. Well, so they kick it up and they double productivity. Right. I grow the company and I sell the company at seven or eight times earnings. Mm -hmm. And I give everybody... $1,000 $1,000 bonus for everybody. Yeah, yep. And instead of $10 million, I walk away with $20 million. Right. Right. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. That's why I came to Crafts. It was, it appealed to me. It's like, it's like uh, entrepreneurship and equity are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to link them, there's a problem. How are you going to Think yourself a hero. If you're running the biggest companies in the world and then you go into the food line and all of your employees that you're paying under $50,000 a year are the very ones that are in the food bank line. Right. That's not a hero. Right. Yeah. I don't believe in that. So you have to find as an owner, as an investor, as an entrepreneur, as an intellectual, you have to find that place where, you know, 
you have to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I believe capitalism in the United States is destined to get there. ESOPs, that the genesis of an ESOP is born of that psychology. That's only the beginning in the 70s that it really kind of started that. But really where it has to go, employees and equity, everything has to marry up together sooner or later. You know, somebody's shooting themselves into space with $100 billion in the bank and then watching their employees in the food bank line, um, if that was me, I, I couldn't sleep. Right. Right. It sounds like I'm critiquing that person. No, I get it. I'm yeah. not, but there has to be an evolution at some point where you have to find that, that, yeah, that real it. place. Absolutely. What's your why, right? I mean, to a degree. Yeah. yeah. What's your why? Um, what has working with um, John Dallas and, and coming to Enclave really done for you? I, I think meeting John. In understanding John, it, for me, the very first thing that I, I would gauge anybody on, John is very invested in this building, in this facility, in the psychology, in the people. So John's the real deal. He's legitimately invested. He's got kind of what you would say a heart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and uh, I think that's the most important thing that I certainly search out. So that's the first thing that John delivered. But then John is also an intellectual. Yep. And um, I think he provokes people and instigates people. Right, in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Find yourself in there somewhere. And uh, I think he quantifies that uh, as an intellectual, but um, he's the intellectual side of the emotional side. He, not that he's not emotional. He's emotional, but he, he doesn't let that out very often. He's very very put together but he is. Uh, yeah it's in there though it's in there yeah though. he gets to know him enough he's uh he's about as genuine as a person as uh exactly. as, as there can be jeff what would you and i know it's hard to put into kind of one answer but um you know what is something that you a piece of advice you would give to an entrepreneur that just walks off off the streets says jeff i'm aware of you and your story give me give me your best piece of advice oh, that's good I would say um, be authentic and, and don't be selfish. Yeah. I love it. That's it. Thank you for being here and for being authentic and not selfish. We appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you.